Dang. I'm done. Yeah. That's encouraging. Oh, wow. How's it going, guys? Uh, my name is Steven. For those who don't know, I'm going to try to finagle all of this stuff on a very small platform here. Uh, but yeah, we're just going to dive right into it. Go ahead and turn over to 2 Peter. If you have any trouble following it, finding it, it's right after 1 Peter. Think about it. Uh, <laughs> amen. 2 Peter is an incredible book, I think, for the reason that it's written when Peter knows that he is going to die. And there are a couple books written in the New Testament uh, that, are kind, that kind of have this uh, vibe of or energy of a last will and testament, almost. Uh, Paul writes uh, a letter or two when he's in prison. He's like, uh, in Philippians, he's like, well, I might die, so here's what you need. Or, you know, John is kind of like looking at the end of his life in 1 John, and like he's an old, old man, like one of the last remaining disciples that actually knew Jesus. And he's like, all right, well, I'm not going to be here anymore, so this is what you need to do. And here, Peter, likewise, uh, sometime in like 60 to 70 AD, is like, guys, like, I, I am going to die soon. Yeah. So this is what you need to know. And through this book, you know, what Peter is thinking about and looking at is that there are these false teachers popping up throughout the church. And Paul was trying to uh, fight against these guys and their doctrines. Uh, then Peter was trying to fight against these guys and their doctrine. Uh, John, you know, is kind of dealing with the later movement, but he's looking at these, this group of people who's trying to tell people they don't have to be righteous anymore. They can just sin that like the actual freedom of Christ is just do whatever you want. And Peter's warning them, no, 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 do not be enslaved again to your sin. And that's the context in which he's writing this. He's like, man, like, I'm not going to be here anymore to fight for these people. So I've got to warn them about what these people are teaching. And he starts this letter off, chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a, a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Peter goes on, you know, he talks a lot more about these, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the false teachers that we mentioned. He really paints some like dark images about them and their hearts and the things that they're doing. But this is interesting rhetorically, this whole letter, because a lot of the teaching is really front-loaded here. 
And if you read one of Paul's letters, you'll see that he's like, hey, here's what you think. Here's what you should feel. Here are these truths about Jesus. And Paul's like, very quickly just gets to like, okay, here's what you need to do. Out of your faith, goodness, goodness, you know, knowledge, knowledge, righteousness. What, you know, it gives us this list of things to focus on right off the bat. And here's, then he goes, here's why everyone trying to get you. All right. Watch out. Do this. You'll never fall. And he front loads all of this. And, you know, even later on, he'll say, okay, because these false teachers want to enslave you again and that Jesus is coming, live godly lives. Make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. And, you know, he doesn't really give a lot of specific direction then, but he's almost kind of pointing back to this moment of like, okay, here's how you do that. Here's how you live that godly life. And I also love passages like this that just have very clearly drawn lines of like action and consequence. Because yeah. uh, I think it's, it's easy to focus on a lot of things uh, in our walks with God and just be like, okay, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. You know, I need to share my faith, I need to have quiet times, I need to... Uh, you know, stay pure. I need to love people. I need to be giving to this guy and this guy and just have, have a bunch of different things kind of in our minds. But I love passages that are just like, okay, here's what you got to do. All right. Do this and then you won't stumble. Do this and you will not fall. Just have to focus on practicing, practicing these qualities. Focus on these things. And to some of you, you might be like, oh, but he just gave us like a list of like a ton of things to focus on. (laughs) So that doesn't really make sense. But really what Paul is talking about here, Peter, I'm going to do that a lot. Probably say Paul instead of Peter. Uh, What Peter is doing here is he's not saying so much like add to your faith. Like once you have perfect faith, then work on goodness. And once you have perfect goodness, you know, work on knowledge. Because like surely we wouldn't have to have like full knowledge of everything before we loved people. You know, or before we were able to like do, do something else righteously. We just never get anywhere. In other translations, uh, what Peter says here is actually supplement yeah. your faith with goodness and supplement your goodness with knowledge and supplement your knowledge with self-control. And so it's just this idea of growth, yeah. this idea of constantly working on these things, constantly trying to become more and more like the creator. And just this idea of, okay, if you just focus on just growing more and more like Jesus, then you will never fall. Yeah. And just this, this concept of focus on being like Jesus more and more. Uh, it, it's not exactly a roadmap, but the idea that Peter's trying to say is adding to your godly qualities. You know, it's what we've been talking about as a church for the past few weeks, so for those who don't know, is this idea of training in righteousness, of kind of adding to these qualities of of, of uh, adding to our disciplines is something that Drew's been talking a lot about. Uh, in fact, he suggested this passage, so it's all in keeping with the theme. Thank you, Drew. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because Peter doesn't even say that we need to have these all perfectly, but what do we need to do? Possess these qualities in increasing measure. And I think, you know, it's not like we have to be exactly like Jesus all the time, but is it really our heart to go after growth? Is that really our goal? And I think, I think logically, you know, it makes sense why that should be the case. And I think Peter lays it out pretty clearly right here. Uh, he says, you know, keep growing and pursuing godliness and you won't be ineffective or useless in your faith. Like this won't all turn out to be for nothing if you do this. Like you will never fall if you keep growing. That totally makes sense at a head level. But honestly, I think when I really think about this, this idea can become a little intimidating. And I think it's a little deceptive at first because I think my heart's like, oh, like, let me, you know, I just have to focus on this one thing and then I'll be good. But that one thing is like, 
I just have to keep growing forever and I'll just keep doing more and more and more and just keep doing it. And then like forever and then one day I'll die. And I'm like, that's a lot. And I'm like, automatic. I'm just like exhausted thinking about that. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. Like, what is that really going to entail? And I think honestly, I can think about that and just be like, oh, I just need to keep growing in my righteousness forever. And that can frighten me a little bit. It's like, where is that really going to take me? If like I add on to my righteousness today and then have to add on to it tomorrow and then add on, add on to it the next day, like what am I actually going to have to do in order to live this passage out? And, you know, maybe this idea really pumps you up and excites you. And you're like, yeah, we're going to do it. And we're going to grow forever. But I think a lot of us, and I think for me, uh, there's something, this, this can expose a fear in us. And it can expose something in our, in our hearts and our minds when we really level with this idea of continuous growth, you know, becoming more and more like Jesus every day. And I think it gets to the core of something very human about all of us. And I think it's very human for our righteousness to be dictated by two things, guilt and fear. And this is like a very natural human thing that you will see throughout the ages if you look at like the development of religion, uh, that people will gravitate to a relationship with God that is governed by guilt and fear. And these two things really work together. And I think I, I actually had a chart, but, you know, we don't have slides. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, as our, like, apparent righteousness increases, you know, our guilt probably goes down. We're, like, feel better about ourselves. And we're like, oh, look at all the things I'm doing. And it feels great. And, you know, even that guilt, we're like, oh, man, like, look at what I'm doing. Our guilt can drive us further down that road of, like, I need to do better. But then rising up to meet it as our righteousness increases is fear. And it's like, oh my gosh, like if I, if I keep doing this, what's going to happen to me? You know, if I keep growing in this way, what is going to happen to me? And I think for a lot of us, our righteousness can plateau at the point where those two things meet. And our guilt is satiated enough that we feel okay. And we're also at the point where we're not too fearful about where we're at. And sometimes that'll, that'll flow back and forth. And maybe we'll like hear a really convicting lesson and get really guilty. And then our righteousness will increase, but then our fear increases. And then we come back down. Or our fear increases and we haven't been convicted and we'll kind of sl- sl- slack off a little bit in our righteousness. And then someone calls us back and convicts us and we're like, ah, guilt. And then we'll move back into the center. But a lot of us will kind of fluctuate in this narrow band of righteousness because we're just governed by, right- we're governed by fear and guilt, pushing us up and weighing us down. And that is precisely where we plateau and where we stop living out this passage. We're just governed by our guilt and by our fear. And I think it's this fear that makes a passage like this so intimidating. Uh, you know, I can look at a passage like this and wonder, my goodness, how much am I really going to have to risk? If I'm continually increasing in these godly qualities, what's going to happen if I share my faith more and then more and then more? You know, at work, you know, how are people really going to view me? Uh, how, you know, it might strain my relationships and people might view me a certain way or kind of view me as weird. And like, it can be the fear of like, am I really going to be respected or like even promoted if I'm just kind of seen as this outsider, this Jesus guy, you know, what's, what's going to happen if I love people more and more and more, and I'm just giving people all I have emotionally forever. What am I going to have left for myself? Am I just going to feel hollow and burnt out? What's going to happen if I keep going after confession and righteousness and keep digging things up in my heart that I don't like, (laughs) or even just like keep failing at all of these things? Like what happens when I try to do all this and just fail? 
I don't know what it is for you guys, you know, whether that fear is, you know, what if I put God above my finances and, and keep growing in generosity? What's going to be left for me and my family? What if I keep putting God above school, not just when it's convenient, but when it's scary and hard? Like, how will I get the grades I need for this internship or this program or this job? How am I going to maintain my social status or, or do the clubs that, you know, give me so much fulfillment if I put God above them? You know, and fear can just push our faith down so far. And, and honestly, or sorry, fear can make us pu- push our push our faith down so far, make us think, is this even possible to do sustainably? Maybe I can do it for a week. Am I really going to be able to live my life like this? And I think, you know, but then I really, when I really acknowledge these thoughts, I can think, man, like, shouldn't I want this? Like, shouldn't I want, like, this is in the Bible. I claim to love Jesus. Like, shouldn't this be something that I want to go after? And then guilt is right up there to meet that fear. (laughs) You know, and again, it's just fluctuating in, in this narrow band of thoughts and fear and guilt. And then I think to myself, like, I am just so focused on myself in all of this. I mean, like every one of those statements is just like, okay, what's going to happen to me? What if I do this? What am I going to have left for myself? Uh, and it <laughs> reminded me of this quote from uh, Princess Diaries. Uh, <laughs> when uh, Mia Thermopolis, uh, the about to be princess of Genovia, you know, is, uh, is up in front of everyone giving this, this long anticipated speech. And she says, then I realized how many stupid times a day I use the word I. And it's an amazing transition moment uh, in the moment. Like she becomes a princess right then. Uh, and her, her speech ceases to be awkward and weird. And she's like eloquent and decisive. And it's just, it's this amazing thing. She finally has taken her eyes off herself. <laughs> Uh, but when we're enslaved by fear, you know, one way or another, it's because we're focused on ourselves. Yeah. We're focused on providing for ourselves. We're focused on what, what do I need? How can I provide it? And that fear is so potent because we have to risk those things. Yeah. And all of that mindset just misses the point of everything Peter is talking about in this entire passage and everything Peter is trying to teach here. Peter's whole purpose in writing this letter is for us to avoid this very thing, this enslavement by fear, this enslavement to sin, and to refocus his readers on Jesus. And even if we like read this first part again, we'll see how he's doing that right from the very beginning in verse three. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And even before he says, grow in this and this and this and this, he says, for this very reason, for this very reason, grow in these things. And this part is so easy to gloss over, I think, as we try to get to what we need to do. But the things that Peter writes here are actually insane and we need to think about them and not just gloss over them. You know, he starts out here, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And I think when I really first noted that part, noticed that part of this passage and really thought about that, I was like, that is actually wild. That is insane. And I think I was like, do I really believe that? That I have been given everything I need for life and godliness. And I think a lot of the time I don't live like that. Yeah. I don't, and even the, some of those fears is like, I don't have what it takes. 
I don't have what it takes. And again, focus is on myself, but God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need to live this out, to hold to these teachings. He's given us his spirit and the example of his son. And the power of his spirit is enough. And that in and of itself is incredible. And then he goes on, you know, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You may participate in the divine nature. And that is a radical statement right there. And I think especially in Peter's time and the time he was writing, because like that, that was an intimate God was so foreign to all of the Greeks and Romans. They, they did not have a concept of like being like God. Uh, gods were just like unattainably powerful and just very distant. And it wasn't really about having a relationship or being like them. It was kind of about like satiating them, like pleasing them. Yeah. Uh, you know, like no one was like, oh man, just wish I could be more like Zeus. Like <laughs> doing sketchy things with cows. Like wouldn't that be great? Uh, no one was saying that. <laughs> but like this is such a radical idea. And I think like we have through Christ the opportunity to actually live out the truth of the universe to live out the very nature of God and grow in our intimacy with him by being like him. That is absolutely insane. Such a radical idea. You know, it's radical because it gets to something that the early church really held onto. And I think that we can forget uh, in our society today and that to live like this and to repent, to live like Peter is talking about, to live in godliness and righteousness is to live free. And this idea of participating in the divine nature, Peter and Paul and all the other disciples and even Jesus wasn't really, they were focused on heaven, but they also believed that following Jesus brought about a heaven here. And it brought about a freedom here that we can participate in and live in. And participating in the divine nature is connecting us to God in a way that will bring peace and will bring joy and will bring love and will allow us to escape the slavery of sin. And I think it's so easy to forget that's the promise. And I think for so many of us, it's just like, man, I have to gut it out until I die. And I have to gut it out in righteousness. And then one day I'll die. And then one day things will be great. But we forget that really living free of the enslavement of fear and the enslavement of sin brings that brings blessings here and now it brings freedom here and now it's actual freedom. And I think when I look at the times in my life where, you know, I, I have thrown caution to the wind. I'm just like, I'm just going to do whatever for Jesus. I'm going to go wherever. I'm going to share my faith like my hair is on fire. Come on. Uh, I'm just going to push aside my fears and actually like try to grow in these things. And actually like pursue vulnerability and actually pursue confession. Actually pursue things that are hard and scary. I think those are the times when I felt the most free. Yeah. And I felt the most liberated. And it just kind of showed me like, wow, like none of, none of these things I was worrying about are even important. I can clearly live without them. <laughs> You know, giving up these things, it just brought such a security and a freedom. And I think the, the point that Peter is trying to make is not that we should just gut it out and grit our teeth until we get to heaven, but growing and pursuing Jesus, we will experience the freedom and joy of the kingdom of heaven here and now. And I think when our eyes are just on ourselves, we totally miss all of this. And when we choose to listen to our fears and be driven by guilt, we totally miss all of this. And Peter even calls this out in verse nine. And he says, but if anyone does not have these qualities, he is nearsighted and blind 
and has forgotten that he has been cleansed of past sins. And I think for so many of us, you know, if we're on the other side of salvation, we can so easily forget what we've been saved from and how enslaved we were to like all of our sins and impurities and debaucheries. Uh, And I think it's just when we're plateauing and our eyes are on ourselves, we just forget everything that Jesus has saved us from. And, And in reality, none of this makes sense without grace. None of this makes sense without that forgiveness and without a God who is willing to die to open up the way for us to be able to participate in the divine nature and who died to be freed from enslavement from our sins, who died to be able to live, for us to be able to live godly lives and grow in real godly qualities. If our focus isn't on Jesus and how incredible everything is that he bought at the price of his very life, then yeah, we are going to burn out. Those fears are going to be realized. We're going we're only going to grow by like guilting ourselves into it. And we're only going to grow a little limited amount and we're just going to regress. We're just going to be who we were before. And we're only going to, we're just going to keep failing and getting discouraged because we're going to fail, but we're just going to keep failing and just be fixated on it. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, like I am not enough. And we're just going to get dragged down by ourselves and our self-focus. But if we actually fix our eyes on Jesus and the cross and just see how loved and how blessed we are, And how ridiculous this trade-off is that Jesus has given everything so that we can just put our sins aside and have freedom. Then, oh my goodness, we're going to be able to throw off our fears. We're going to be able to not live by guilt, but by grace. And we're going to be able, we're going to be so excited to go after all of these things that Peter's talking about, you know, because we're going to see and believe that it's actually possible to exceed our expectations. It's actually possible to get out of our ruts of whatever sin it is Mm -hmm. and repent We're going to joyfully go after praying more and more and getting deeper and deeper to connect with a God who gave everything for us. We're going to be able to share our faith like more and more, just like fixated on trying to get people to understand the peace that we've been given and the joy that we've been given. And it's not going to be like a guilt thing. It's going to be like, wow, look at what I have. I want you to have a piece of this. We're going to want to show people the family that we have in the church We're going to want to show people the God who has actually freed us from enslavement to fear. And we're going to love people deeper and deeper and become more and more selfless because our eyes are going to be fixed on the God who gave so much to love us. And we're going to want to participate in that divine nature of selfless love and know that our Savior did this for us and we should do it for others. But doing that for others is going to bring peace and freedom and allow us to know Jesus deeper and deeper. And as we move forward as a church, I think in growing and training in righteousness. And if you don't think you're growing or you don't know how to grow or you're just like, I'm just stagnant. I don't know how to, to get out of that. Or I don't even know how to, how to live righteously. Talk to somebody about that and come up with a plan or just like things that you can do focused on grace and training in righteousness. But as we move forward as a church in these areas, let us do it with our eyes fixed on Jesus and fixed on those promises. Yeah. Uh, you know, that we've been given everything we need for a life of godly and righteous living. And that living for Jesus brings real freedom. If we do these things and possess these qualities in increasing measure, we will be free from the enslavement of sin and we will never fall. Amen. And we're going to go ahead and pray for communion. Dear God, thank you so much just for your awesome promises, Lord. Uh, God, I just thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, in his grace, uh, God, I just pray that we don't take it for granted, God, but we can really reflect on everything that was given 
uh, by the breaking of your body and the spilling of your blood. And really think that as we break uh, the bread together, God, and we drink the juice, is how physically, God, you gave everything for us, Lord. And you conquered your fears so that we could conquer our fears, God, and just live with you and participate in the divine nature, God, and just have freedom in this life and in the next. I'm so grateful for everything you've given us, God. I just pray that we can uh, live this passage out, God, and uh, go after growing in you. Uh, It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.